Good Tuesday morning, guys. My name is Jerry Miller, and this is the Jerry and Jerry Show. This show layers live on every social media platform known to mankind, archived on every social media platform known to mankind. We talk college sports with the focus on the ACC, the Atlantic Coast Conference, or dare I say, the All Coast Conference. Expansion has hit the ACC. We'll talk football um, with the eye on Virginia and Tennessee in the week that was and the week that is on the horizon with JMU coming to Charlottesville. We'll take a look at that Clemson-Duke game on national television Monday night. And how about those Dukies pounding a Tiger football program with national championship aspirations? This conference may be wide open. Judah Wickhauer is our director. Hat tip to Judah Wickhauer. If you can go to the studio camera and then the two-shot, as we welcome Hootie to the program. Hootie, good Tuesday morning to you, sir. Great to be with you as always, Jerry. It's great to be with you too, my friend. You were in the press box for Nashville, uh, for the Nashville uh, showing with UVA in Tennessee. My friend, open-ended, where do you want to begin? Well, I think we'll just look back at the week that was, I guess, and try to make uh, some sense of it. I, I think the result was pretty much what I had expected. I think most Virginia fans expected that. Uh, some more on the optimistic side perhaps thought the score would be tighter, but I, I thought that was about right, the final outcome. Uh, I thought there were some, some good moments, some uh, not-so-good moments, but I think overall um, it, was, it was pretty much what people believed it would be. Tennessee covered, and then some. Yes. Um, first quarter, we're sitting at Cardinal Hall, Beer Garden, in Charlottesville, Virginia. We're like, what's going on here? It's tighter than we think. And then the Vols start flexing their muscles, clearly playmakers on both sides of the ball. That quarterback looks like a kid that can play on Sundays in the National Football League. I mean, we're talking 6'5", 230, height, strong arm, has pretty darn good command of an offense. What would you make of uh, – let's start on the defense, defensive side of the ball first. Let's start with the positive. Yes. Okay, some positive with UVA defense. Yeah, I, I thought uh, the defense did a really good job for the most part. I mean, at some point you knew they were going to be overwhelmed for two reasons. One, Tennessee was far superior in talent offensively. And two, um, I, I think uh, because the offense had – trouble moving the football for most of the game that the defense was out on the field way too long. Uh, defensive coordinator John Rudzinski will tell you that he was disappointed with their inability to get off the field on third downs some and their performance in the red zone. Tennessee was seven for seven and that is something that Rudzinski uh, really had stressed in fall camp was third down conversions and red zone defense. But I think, and I think they'll be better at that as the season goes along, because they're not going to face many offenses like that this season. There'll be some good offenses they face, but uh, I don't know if they'll see too many quite like Tennessee's. And uh, if you look back at it, Jerry, uh, UVA held Tennessee to one touchdown in the first five drives. And looking back over the last 20 games, nobody else has done that, including Georgia twice and Alabama twice against that Tennessee offense. So 
something there to build on. And if you look back, you know, in terms of the offense, um, Virginia had 10 yards and penalties and no turnovers. And you have to go back all the way to 2019, 37 games since a Virginia team did that. So a couple of bright points for for Virginia and on both sides of the ball. But I, I thought the defense all in all played pretty well. They were just under pressure all day long against some of the more athletic, dynamic guys that they're going to see all season. Jerry Hoodie Ratcliffe, the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer. We're breaking down Tennessee and Virginia week one. We'll talk the entire week one um, outcomes here in a matter of moments. Um, absolutely, we're good to go, Judah. Thank you very much. Questions um, are welcome. Put them in the feed. We'll relay them live on air. Good morning to you, Kevin Yancey, who's watching Drive Time right now in Waynesboro, Virginia. We'll talk JMU and UVA here, Mayor of Waynesboro, Kevin Yancey. Um, I want to talk offense. Musket um, panicked at times. Um, Musket, um, I thought at times, had a hard time seeing over his line. He looked disconnected with some of his wide receivers. The first half seemed to be um, a, a team, you know, operating almost in the proverbial quicksand. They seemed a step or two slower than Tennessee's defense. Um, a missed field goal didn't help from a momentum or confidence standpoint. Right. Um, what was the biggest breakdown you saw? Do we start in the trenches with the O-line and the lack of protection? Yeah, I think that's where it was. I mean, the reason Musket was under looked panicked at times is because he was running for his life most of the game. Uh, I know he was pressured at least nine times. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a lot more than that, but I know nine for sure that I counted. Sacked four times. Um, and it was just too much for that offensive line. I mean, there, you got some guys in there who weren't accustomed to starting that much. Um, we're going up against one of the better defensive lines in the country, a very aggressive bunch, uh, some outstanding linebackers that Tennessee had that were bringing it. Uh, Aaron, that Aaron Beasley kid is – Beast. He's – might be an All-American. He's going to be playing on Sundays. Uh, the other guy that came over from BYU, uh, the other linebacker, was pretty darn good as well. And they were just overpowered at times, Jerry. They just, they just brought more than Virginia could block. They had to keep uh, – I think that's one reason they didn't use their tight ends so much in the passing game, which I was kind of disappointed that they didn't. I, th I thought that's a weapon that they didn't exploit – but I think they had to keep them in for pass protection more than anything else. And uh, I was a little disappointed, too, that they didn't throw many screen passes to try to slow down that rush. That's, that's a traditional football method of slowing down an aggressive defense is screen passes and the old draw plays, but um, didn't see much of any of that. And... But uh, the, the Musket was, uh, you know, he was just under the gun. He was under duress the entire game. And as we discussed last week on the show, Jerry, when we were talking about Tony Musket, we were um, we were discussing, you know, what if, what if he gets hurt? What happens then? Because you've got a true freshman 
as your backup quarterback who had never taken a snap in the college game, and there's nobody, and we're talking about Anthony Calandria, there's nobody behind him who's taken a snap in the college game either. So uh, Musket was hurt with uh, on the first drive of the fourth quarter, landed on his left shoulder on a sack, came out of the game holding his shoulder and, and maybe even his collarbone. We couldn't tell for sure. There hasn't been any word of, from UVA. We'll be going to Tony Elliott's press conference at 1 o'clock today, and I'm imagining he will unveil uh, some kind of news, although you don't want to tip your hat to JMU either, so he may not, he may be playing things close to his vest. He, he may just say it's a game-time decision, so JMU can't prepare for one quarterback over the other. So uh, we're not really sure what Tony Elliott's going to say at 1 o'clock, but uh, he may tell us if Musket can go or not go. We don't know. I'll give you props. Um, Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe called that this may happen, and it happened in the first game. And it's unfortunate we're not celebrating this prediction oh, or the no, fact that he got right. Yeah. But he's an analytical guy, and he's been around the block. And, and you made the comment, if memory serves, maybe the coaching staff should have anticipated that Jay Wolfolk would have said no more to football with a multi-million dollar baseball future in front of him. Right. And, and let's cut to the chase. You know, many UVA fans saw this coming with Jay Wolfolk. And the backup quarterback play, the backup quarterback was not someone or not a position that was prioritized. And right now we had Anthony Calandria playing in a hostile environment as an 18-year-old with not a legitimate snap of college experience, and he very well could be the starter against a JMU football team that is no longer afraid of the orange and blue. True. And, you know, he's not a big guy either. So, right. you know, what happens if he gets hurt and you've got guys that, Back in the spring, before Jay Wolfolk informed anyone of his plans, you had guys who were fourth and fifth team quarterbacks who, you know, God forbid that Calandria would get hurt this week if Musket's not able to go. But you're talking about guys who you never imagined would ever take a snap as a quarterback for Virginia could end up being your starter. Uh, so... They would be in dire straits if that happened, and you certainly don't want anything like that to happen, but you got to think about the possibilities. And uh, I think Tony Elliott came under a lot of criticism from all corners about not going out and finding uh, at least one more experienced quarterback just in case Jay Wolfolk did decide to go the baseball route. At least he would have some insurance there that He's had a backup, a potential backup quarterback with some playing experience in FBS or FCS uh, football. Um, Ray Cadell's got questions coming in. Kevin Higgins has already got questions coming in. Kevin Higgins, we love when you watch the show in Greenwood. Um, we can jump straight to questions. And, and guys, the, the, the show encourages questions in the comment section on any social media platform. Hootie Ratcliffe is a, a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the Atlantic Coast Conference. People are already asking about that Clemson-Duke game and, and, and this question. Do you see any connection with Elliott leaving Clemson and their loss last night to Duke 
uh, a follow-up on a different social media platform is Duke beats Clemson, and they have the same academic standards that are difficult for a football program as the University of Virginia has. Where's the disconnect? So comparisons already being made, links already being made to Duke beating Clemson, a juggernaut, and UVA getting pounded by a juggernaut. Anywhere you want to go there, Hootie. Well, it was a fun game to watch last night. Um, we're not accustomed to seeing Clemson getting run over like that and and being so sloppy with the football. They're new. It makes you wonder if uh, Cade Klubnick, they're uh, allegedly the number one quarterback recruit in the nation over a year ago, is as good as advertised or if he's just going to have to grow into the position. Uh, that was... Part of their problem last night was he turned the ball over throwing it. He fumbled twice on uh, exchanges or something there uh, inside the 10-yard line. It would have made it a different ball game. not saying Clemson would have won, but um, it makes you wonder about why Dabo decided to go with him in the Orange Bowl last year as a starter and sort of ran off uh, – I've always had uh, trouble pronouncing the previous All of us, all of us. Uh, you, you Gungale or something like that. But if you'll notice, he was the had the highest passer efficiency rating in FCS football this pa- past weekend uh, at Oregon State. Uh, so it makes you wonder a little bit, you know, why would you run off a guy with experience like that? I know the Clemson fans weren't real crazy about him. But uh, look what he went out and did at Oregon State this past weekend, and the other guy was having trouble doing anything right. Um, Mike Elko is a really good football coach. I think he's very underrated. Uh, He was the defensive coordinator at Texas A&M before he came to Duke and took over a program that I thought had less talent than Virginia did, and he won nine games last year. Uh, I think he's a good coach. I think he hired a good staff. He got the kids to buy in and believe in their program. And they looked solid in every facet of the football game last night, Jerry. I know you watched it on both sides of the ball. They they were dominant in certain situations. And when's the last time we saw anybody other than a powerhouse powerhouse run the football like that against a Clemson defense? I can't I can't recollect a time. And um <laughs> and I, I think uh, their quarterback is one of the more underrated guys in the country. Uh, he, he did a great job last year. Nobody was expecting anything out of him. And then he, he f- continued, picked up right where he left off last night. Um, it had to be fun for Steve Spurrier, who was there. Last time Duke won an ACC championship was in 1989 when they shared it with Virginia, although I don't think they deserved it because Virginia beat the devil out of Duke that that season. But uh, Spurrier, as we know, likes to uh, uh, talk a little bit. And uh, I, he was one guy that got under George Welsh's uh, skin more than anybody that I ever knew in, in the entire George Welsh era. But uh, that's another story. But still, uh, Duke looked fantastic last night. And I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with this season. They – People took him for granted last year. Like I said, they won nine games, and uh, he, he had pretty a lot of guys returning. And that, that is a well-coached football team. 
Do we, and, and folks, I'll get to your comments. Kevin, I'll get to your comments in Waynesboro. Uh, Big Ray and the Cool Cats, Ray Cadell, I'll get to your comments here in a matter of mo uh, moments. Um, George Lancaster um, watching in, it looks like, the Arlington area. I'll get to your comment in a matter of moments, sir. Um, Kelsey's a regular watcher of our program. She's watching in Richmond, Virginia. I'll get to your comments. Viewers and listeners, ask who do you comment. Put it in the feed. We'll relay it live on air. Oh, and, and I guess, you know, to answer the, the part of that original question is I don't think Tony Elliott not being there had anything to do with it. They they didn't have a great year his last year there. They brought in a new offensive coordinator last year, didn't get it done. They got rid of him, brought in another guy who's supposed to be a brilliant offensive coordinator. We saw what happened last night. So I, I don't think there was any connection between Tony Elliott and what happened last night. Do we... I hate using the phrase moral victories because this is big-time college football and tens of millions of dollars, if not more, um, at stake here. Coach Elliott used that phrase after the game and before the game. Um, and, I, and I get it. I get it. We got the first football game since a significant tragedy, tragedy that rocked the entire Wahoo community. Do we throw this game out, discount it, and chalk it up to what Coach Elliott said? It's a moral victory that we even were able to run out on the field and make it from first quarter to fourth quarter? Or is that a bit of a, you know, I'm trying to stay positive because it's week one, but Hootie, I'm looking at the stats here. We're, we're, we're looking at 95 net rushing yards here to Tennessee's 287. 106 net passing yards here. We got a starting quarterback that looked like he's got a pretty serious injury, but time will tell at the presser today what's going to happen. We got a defensive lineman that came off the field after a sack, a strip, and a recovery that was celebrating on the sidelines and, and collapsed, and it looked like... He injured both knees. Injured both knees, celebrating on the sidelines here. Had a missed field goal, and this was a national televised game uh, with some big-time announcers calling the game, mm -hmm. and the Virginia brand all over national TV here. Did we discount it? How do you look at it? Moral victory, or do you not, you not buy into this? I think you got to discount it to some degree because nobody expected Virginia. And if you have any reality about your football knowledge, to to make much of a game out of it, um, I think I don't believe in moral victories either. I, I think it was uh, it was great that they were able to return and, and and play some decent football at times against a superior opponent on the road. Um, there's not many teams that would have gone in there and fared a whole lot better, I don't think, this past week. I don't think Virginia's offense will see a better defense this year because they don't play a Clemson or a Florida State or a Notre Dame. They, uh, I just don't think there's another defense out there on their schedule that's going to be anywhere close to Tennessee's they may not they'll, – they'll face some good offenses this year. I don't know if they'll face any of, of this caliber, perhaps North Carolina. Um, so I, I think you just got to take it for what it was and move on, and, and you've got 11 other games to play that uh, you shouldn't be tested to that degree in, in any of those, uh, that you might have a chance to compete starting this week. and uh, But I think it, 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 it was good that they were able to get back out on the field um, after 
that tragedy last November, I mean, it, it was uh, in that respect, it was a moral victory that they were able to come back and and uh, a lot of those guys could have left the program and, and didn't. Some some people did. Um, so you know, they're they're kind of starting from uncharted territory. Nothing. I don't think any program has ever experienced anything like that in the history of college football. So. You got to cut them a little slack in that department, and uh, hope, like like Tony likes to say, is just uh, move forward and, and try to see if you can uh, build from that. Um, this comment comes in from Jennifer. Jennifer's watching in Williamsburg. JMU is not my grandfather's football team. This program is for real. They pounded Bucknell in the opener, and as Jerry said, they're not scared of Virginia anymore. Please give. Please ask uh, Mr. Ratcliffe his thoughts on this contest. I'll offer some perspective on this and throw it to the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer. Uh, the Dukes, seven-point favorite. Yep. They beat Bucknell 38-3. We got an over-under of 43 points. It's a 12 o'clock kickoff, the first home football game since last year's tragedy, so we know emotions are going to be running high. The Virginia Sports Marketing Department, Virginia Sports <clears throat> Properties, is doing what it can to get fannies in the seats by giving away shirts to the first 30,000 plus fans that enter the gates. So they're doing their can they're doing what they can to build buzz. Open-ended question for you, JMU, UVA, high noon, ESPNU, Duke's seven-point favorite, Hootie. Well, there's uh, apparently the ticket sales are brisk and I've, I've heard whispers of 50,000 plus and I don't know how much can be attributed to JMU fans coming over the mountain or to people coming for the uh, UVA strong um, That's what I think it is. Cellar ceremony where yeah. they're going to honor the players, the slain players and their families. Uh, you, if you're going to attend the game, you probably should get there early, get out of the parking lot from your tailgating early. The ceremony begins at 1130, half hour before the game. Uh, so it would be nice to be in your seats in that respect. I, uh, supposedly there's a limited, according to the UVA's media relations department, there's a limited number of lower bowl seats remaining. So it, this could be a huge crowd, and we haven't seen anything like that in a long time at Scott Stadium, which is going to be the 500th game, Jerry, in Scott Stadium, going, going back to 1931 when the stadium opened. But uh, JMU is, is obviously... Uh, a really good football program now, and uh, we've followed them from afar over the last few years when they've been so good in the FCS playoffs. Uh, had some really good success under uh, two different coaches. Uh, Kurt Signetti is their coach now and, and uh, has done a really great job of maintaining the momentum that was built. Um, they own the third longest active streak of scoring 35 points or more in FBS football, Jerry. Um, so, you know, they can move the football. I, I don't know that much about their defense, but the, uh, their offense is really good. They, they, Like you said, they beat Bucknell 38-3, to and they had two drives stop inside the 10-yard line when they ran out of downs. So it could have been even more lopsided than that. Um, it's going to be a quarterback change this week. The guy they started with last week, um, Alonzo Barnett III 
struggled a little bit in the passing game. He was only three of 11 for 15 yards. And so in the third quarter, midway through the third quarter, Signetti brought in uh, a guy named Jordan McLeod, who ended up uh, throwing two touchdown passes in the uh, fourth quarter, I believe. Uh, he was seven, 11, 7 of 11 for 144 yards. And this guy, uh, Jerry, I'm not surprised that they went with him. He's an interesting story, and this is another story in modern-day football where this guy's been around. This is his third school. He started out at South Florida, uh, then played two years at Arizona, and now he's starting. I mean, uh, um, yeah, uh, South Florida in two years at Arizona. Now he's starting at JMU. He, he's played in big games before. Uh, when he was at Arizona, he started uh, against number three Oregon in Eugene in 2021, and then uh, started against number seven Notre Dame in South Bend in 20 with South Florida. So he's been in big game atmospheres before, and uh, certainly this will be that kind of atmosphere come Saturday at high noon. Uh, Spencer's watching this program right now. Spencer, we appreciate your comments, and when you watch the show, he's watching in the Baltimore area. I think this is his third comment on the Jerry and Jerry show I can't believe I'm about to read this comment, but I may agree with Spencer here. Spencer says, boys, is this a must-win game for UVA football? I think we said that last week, that if they have a must-win game on the schedule, this is it. Because it's against uh, a program that's uh, it's, it's certainly up and coming. And uh, they played FBS football last year in their transition, had some success Uh a lot of people uh, felt like that they lost enough firepower from their program last year that they might not be quite as uh, efficient this year as they were last year. I know they were rated uh, down the ladder behind Virginia in a couple of, if you take all the FBS programs and, and rank them in order, uh, I saw a couple of polls where they were ranked behind Virginia. So uh, this is a home game, uh, perhaps a sellout crowd of 60,000 people, uh, which we haven't seen here in a long, long, long time. time. Uh, When's the last sellout? Was it Southern California? That was the record crowd back in, was that 06, I think? I, th I think you're right. That was a, uh, I was at that game. That was that, an incredibly hot day. 60, 61,000 people. I was standing room only at Scott Stadium. Not yes. even Notre Dame sold out at Scott Stadium. No. Not even, and they've been here a couple of times since then. But... Uh, um, I mean, you, you, they've, they've got everything in their favor. They, they didn't, you know, they played fairly well in, in spots at Tennessee, enough to give them something to build off of and to learn from their mistakes. Uh, there's gonna, it's going to be an emotional setting. Uh, you would hope that they don't make it overly emotional to where it, they can't focus on playing and carrying out their assignments. But they will be carrying those guys in their hearts for this game. And uh, that can give you a lot of inspiration early on and, and get you fired up coming out of the tunnel and stuff. Uh, all that kind of goes out the window when somebody hits you in the mouth. But uh, it, it could give them a, a emotional kickstart, if nothing else. And then you go from there. Uh, 
it's hard to f know what's in their heads about uh, if they feel like that JMU has to come in here and prove that they can beat them. And I know JMU is going to come in here hungry and thinking that they're as good a team in the state as anybody. If a lot of people better. say they're the best team in the state. A lot of people believe that, and yeah. it could be true. And they wouldn't be a seven-point favorite if if uh, people thought otherwise. So those guys in Vegas aren't uh, aren't dummies. So um, I, it's it's going to be a heck of a game. And you know, you look at Virginia's schedule, and you know they're going to be underdogs Saturday. They're probably going to be underdogs in every game they play this year, except perhaps at Boston College, and perhaps here against William and Mary. And perhaps here against Georgia Tech, we're not. It depends on how their season goes. But so I think this is a must-win game. If you, if you're going to beat somebody, uh, what better situation than having them coming into your stadium with a full house on an emotional day, with you having something to prove um, against a team that you're the underdog in your own stadium. And and Virginia traditionally has. I know it wasn't so much the case last year, but up until last year, Virginia had been pretty good at home. So you can't discount the fact that uh, that is, that's, could be a factor. Hootie Ratcliffe dropping dimes right now. Um, Olivia Branch watching at Keswick Hall. Welcome to the show. Bill McChesney, hello on McIntyre Road. Ray Cadell, the musician and the college football fan, highlights the JMU band. And he says, no question who wins that battle. He also highlights what a lot of folks have said on this program, that the offense uh, and the style of play that Tony Elliott's trying to run, this pro-style offense, is not conducive to the academic standards that the University of Virginia is trying to pursue in the classroom. A lot of folks making that comment on, this, on our talk show here, Hootie. We've had that comment made in relation to what Wake Forest is doing mm -hmm. and how that could be something that, I don't want to call it a gimmicky style offense, but uh, an offense that uh, you know employs a lot of uh, misdirection, uh, a lot of play in space, as opposed to lining up in the trenches and, and, and lining up against a guy that's frankly going to outsize you and outstrength you in just about every position. Yeah, well, Al Grove was able to do that for a few years here, but he had he had pros, he had NFL talent, yeah. in in that program, and. and I don't know that there's much of that in the program right now. And it's it's tough to run that offense without uh, a superior offensive line where you can line up and pound people when you need to. Uh, Virginia did have one really impressive drive in that game. Uh, they ran the ball eight times and threw it once, I believe. And... Um, Paris Jones and Kobe Pace, the transfer from Clemson, were the guys who carried all all those seven carries. And uh, they primarily ran to the left side of the off offense, and that's where Mikel Boley, the big left tackle, the sophomore, and um, uh, was that's where he plays, left tackle. And the, the left side uh, was able to drill some holes in that Tennessee defense. The right side struggled most of the game. Uh, Nana, the right tackle, um, was playing there for, for Jimmy Crist, who was injured. If they get Crist back, I think he'll move back into that right tackle spot and they'll move 
kind of back inside. But uh, the, the left side was able to carve out some yardage running, and I imagine they'll uh, try to test JMU's defense in the run game on that side of the line. Uh, don't know if Chris is back yet. We'll find out more about that this afternoon. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a tough offense to run if you don't have the talent. Algro had that talent. Uh, for a few years, they got to where they didn't recruit as well, and uh, it wasn't as effective. But uh, for, if you've got the talent, it, it's not a bad offense to run. And he, you know, he made a fortune off of it at Clemson all those years. But Clemson had superior talent as well. We a lot of those guys in the NFL today. So it's uh, we talked about this a little bit last week, and that you know Wake Forest runs a uh, an offense that you have to prepare for uh, because it's hard for them to recruit. And sort of the same philosophy went into hiring Tony Bennett here at Virginia because it's it's not the easiest place to bring in superior talent to. And in basketball, it's a little easier. You only got to have five or six guys. And in, in football, you got to have 50 but, um, you know, that was part of the rationale in bringing in Tony Bennett. He did something different that people have to go out of their way to prepare for. And if, you, if you're not ready to play it, it'll eat you alive. And that's, that's what Wake Forest's offense does. Um, we still haven't it's, – it's, I, I think it's too much of a small sample size to figure out if this offense is going to work here or not. But uh, until they get the right kind of talent and better talent in here, it doesn't matter what offense they run. I think they're going to struggle. Um, Rob Neal watching the program. Rob, we're going to get to these comments. Um, he's a diehard, lifelong UVA fan. Actually, why don't we go straight to Rob's comments? He goes, I'm a lifelong UVA fan. I'm a JMU graduate and a 16-year James Madison University season ticket holder. He says, this is going to be one hell of a game uh, on Saturday. He said, JMU was very disappointing this past weekend. Worst half of football we have played in a decade. Defense will be strong. We gave up 200 yards first half, then four yards after a spirited halftime talk. He says, the JMU O-line and running back room are power five caliber. The quarterback, the jury is out after QB1 got benched in the third quarter. And he thinks Duke, uh, the Dukes by seven is accurate if the JMU quarterback play remains shaky. His prediction is anywhere from UVA by three to JMU by 10. So he sees a dogfight, and he appreciates us speaking the truth. So we got a JMU graduate and a lifelong UVA fan who's going to be at Scott Stadium on Saturday. I appreciate that comment. Um, Leslie's watching the program. She's watching in Naples, Florida. Uh, gentlemen, I'm a University of Virginia graduate from 1991. Uh, Great year for Virginia football. That. She literally said that. <laughs> she said, what a fall from grace for us, from my time. Um, she says, how can we return this program to uh, what it used to be? And she's not sold on uh, the head coach right now. Well, you know, the jury's still out. You've got to give a guy time to bring in his recruits that fit his system, um, usually give coaches three or four years. In today's 
modern football, if the fans turn on you, you may not get that kind of grace. Um, it's, it's, it's just too early to tell right now because of what happened last year. Um, it was disappointing. There's no question about it. Um, we've talked about it before. There was a lot of finger pointing that it was the coaching staff and their inability to adjust to the talent. Uh, some of it was that the players didn't buy in or couldn't run that system. Uh, this group of players supposedly has bought in and understands the system better. question is if there's enough talent in there to properly run this system and compete against mostly better teams, really. I mean, you, if you look at it, a lot of talent left this program when Bronco left. A lot of it exited. Uh, that recruiting class was wrecked because a lot of those guys backed out of their commitments and went elsewhere. A lot of guys left through the transfer portal. And um, there's there's not a lot of talent in this team. Uh, there's, there's some guys in here who can play with some other teams, but uh, let's be honest, there's, there's just not a lot of superior talent in this program right now, and that's that's why they're desperately trying to upgrade the talent through recruiting, and that's what it's going to take. If you remember Bill Dooley at Virginia Tech and North Carolina fame and, and Wake Forest fame, uh, the, the bull, as we called him, used to... <laughs> used to say this we, we uh, his press conferences every week he he would say in his southern drawl he says the lifeblood of every football program is recruiting and he was right i mean if you and and i go back to this phrase that bear bryant told me back in early 70s he said son have you ever seen a jackass win the kentucky derby and it's right it's all about recruiting um Coaching can only take you so far if, if you don't have the players. And uh, I think we're seeing, and some of it can be systematic, like at Wake Forest, and you can uh, do some things to beat people. And, and, and there's good coaching at Duke, but I think has brought out the best in those players. I'm not convinced that they had better talent than Virginia when Elko took over the program last year. And Tony Elliott took over this program last year. They've gone in different directions. They have. and uh, But that's what it's going to take. Um, I'm not sure if, if you had a, a, a more higher profile, successful FBS coach in here, if he could do much with a lack of talent, uh, to be honest. Uh, there's there's some guys on the, in this program that can play, uh, no question about it. But you got to in football, you've got to have a lot of them. It's like Tennessee last week when the depth, you could see that wearing Virginia down as second half throughout the second half. Tennessee was running fresh bodies in every series, and Virginia was trying to do that, but they just didn't have the quality depth. At, at Tennessee, you bring a starter out. Bring a guy, another guy in. There's not much drop off. That's not the case here right now, and it's just going to go back. They're going to have to build recruiting two or three good recruiting classes in a row to be able to turn this thing around. Multiple people are asking for your take on the Virginia Tech Old Dominion uh, Week One outing. 
where the Hokies uh, beat the Monarchs 36-17. to We will get to that, guys. We'll, we'll look at the week that was in the ACC and the week ahead of us. We want to stick on this UVA football team a little bit longer before we make that transition. Um, Hootie, this is, a, this is a very interesting question. Then we'll get to Halibut Holmberg uh, in a matter of moments here, who's watching in Troy, Virginia. Do we think the JMU, UVA, 12 o'clock, Scott Stadium, this Saturday contest is going to be the, uh, the deepest the stands and fans will show up? Is this potentially the, the top attendance for this season for UVA football? I would I'm seeing say, that on three different pages here. I would say so because I, I, I've heard that a lot of JMU fans are going to come. I, <clears throat> I'm not. I don't, I'm not as familiar with their program and how they travel. Um, I don't. Uh, I mean, Virginia Tech fans travel well. They're, they're, and it depends on how both seasons go. I don't know that uh, when Tech comes here at the end of the season, if if the stadium will be full, it might be. Um, William and Mary obviously doesn't have the kind of fan base that travels, and I don't think anybody else that Virginia plays at home this year is going to bring a ton of fans. So uh, this this could very well be the uh, biggest crowd here in years and, and the biggest crowd of this year. Um, and I would be surprised if it's not because of – of who they're playing, JMU, and their fans are fired up and should be because they've got a. They're supposed to win their division, I believe. <clears throat> Even though I, I'm, from what I understand, they won't be eligible for a bowl game or the, because uh, <clears throat> their conference rules uh, and their transition. I, I think they're going to have to sit out, which I don't think is fair. I think uh, they should be able to play in a bowl game, and um, but with with uh, uh, a hungry fan base like they have and a good fan base and uh, the commemorative ceremony we're going to have before the game uh, in the first home game, I, you know, that's a pretty nice combination to, to draw a, per, a potential sellout crowd. Bob Shada watching the program. Bob Shada, I'm going to get to your comments here in a matter of moments. Stephanie Wells-Rhodes watching the program. Her family, uh, lifelong UVA football fans and season ticket holders. She says there are a lot of JMU fans from this area living in this area. Bob Shada echoes what Stephanie says on a different Facebook page. Bob Shada says this. I think the Friday night game against the NC State Wolfpack will be absolutely loaded for obvious reasons. Robert and I, Brennan Armstrong, two of the very obvious reasons. He also says, but JMU fans are coming in droves based on my JMU alumni group and what they are saying on the message boards. Uh, Another JMU fan says this. uh, This is from Brian Jerry. I'm a 2007 JMU graduate. I can assure you we're going to be coming by the tens of thousands to Scott Stadium on Saturday. Rob Neal says, one thing to watch this weekend is belief and knowing how to win. You will see JMU kids are going to step on the field expecting to win this ball game. Wins last year versus App. Uh, I can't see. 
You beat Coastal by 40. The Dukes will come in to win and keep foot on the pedal. Interested to see which team rallies and when things go wrong. Dukes, he says the Dukes will have 15 to 20,000 people in Scott Stadium alone. On a different Facebook page saying, I'm calling 20,000 uh, JMU fans at Scott Stadium on Saturday. So we have, I mean, the Dukes are rallying around the Jerry and Jerry show right now here, uh, which is, I guess, to be expected, Hootie. Well, I, you know, I, I hope they do. I hope they do show up in tens of thousands because it'll make for a great atmosphere. And uh, that's what college football is all about is, is rivalries and state rivalries. And uh, they do know how to win. That, that win over Appalachian State last year was a, Heck of a win. Huge win. And coastal beating Coastal Carolina like that, I mean, not many people can do that. Um, we're talking about a really good football team. If, if you think JMU is is the J, like the lady said, is our grandfather's JMU. It's not the case. Yeah. These guys are serious. They know how to win. That's one thing that Tony Elliott is, uh, was stressing last week was that his team has to learn how to win. They, they don't know how to win uh, they did i mean you even look back the last two years of bronco after virginia i mean i think covid was probably uh really hurt that virginia program more than anything i mean in 2019 he had this thing going in the right direction uh they were recruiting well outside the state not in the state but they were bringing in some good talent they played in the orange bowl they played in the acc championship game uh, they were supposed to open up the following season with Georgia in the Georgia Dome. And uh, COVID wrecked all that. And I think uh, COVID took its toll on on the Bronco. I think it took its toll on the program. They were, could never get in sync after that. Uh, even though they put up great numbers, we talked, we talked about this. Uh, they still were 11 and 11 his last two seasons. So there's not a lot of guys in this program that know how to win, and that's that's part of it. I remember George Welsh used to talk about that when he turned things around here. Was and is that you've got these guys don't know how to win. You got they've got to learn how to win, and it's not easy. Jamie knows how to do that. Philip Dow says we need to have the Deion Sanders attitude to win, the swagger. He's talking about Stephanie follows up her comment. She's watching in Keswick. I also think they will be here to support the UVA community, the JMU fans. The first game back since the tragedy. Uh, tragedy. I 100% agree with you, Stephanie. Halibut, Holmberg, and Troy. I'm a lifelong UVA fan, and I went to JMU. These two programs are going in very opposite directions. You have to recruit well, and none of the early reads on Coach Elliott uh, point to him being able to recruit. He also says the on-field coaching was also not pretty last year. I hope we can see some serious improvement there. Look, we, we, we are seeing Bob Shada. We appreciate you watching the program. He made the trip to Nashville as well. We're I'm starting to see the fan base get a bit disenchanted. And both Hootie and I say this. you got to give this coach two, three years minimum to get his system in play before we get disenchanted and potentially uh, worse with this coaching staff. He does not have his players starting, let alone in the program yet. We certainly realize that the recruiting's got to pick up. I think that's fair to say. But we got to be patient with Coach Elliott. I think that's a fair take. Uh, I mean, it's 
you, you have to. I mean, you can't just – it's not the NFL. You can't bring in a guy. I believe, even though Florida State, I think, did it, they fired a guy after one season but uh, or maybe two seasons. But it's unless this thing just becomes a train wreck and they don't win a game this year, um, I mean, his job could be in jeopardy if something uh, horrifying like that happens and uh, the fan base and the big-time boosters – uh, turn their back on the guy uh, because you're losing incredible amounts of money if something like that would happen. And it could force a change or it could force him into changing some of his staff. But um, otherwise, you got to give the guy a chance. Uh, it's, it's tough to come into a program and that... And I'm, I'm not making excuses for last year because I, I was disappointed, too, that they couldn't put more points on the board. I thought the offense last year was atrocious. And so far this year, we're, it was hard to gauge at Tennessee because they were going up, up against a, a, a really good defense. But we'll know more over the next three, four weeks when they play JMU, Maryland, NC State, and Boston College. We'll have some better picture as to whether this offense is going to click or not. I think the defense will be okay, uh, if not really good. But you get, in modern-day football, you've got to put points on the board. And this offense hasn't proven yet that it can do that. Bob Shada has this comment. There were 69,000 fans in Nissan Stadium. Yes. Shada was one of them. He says roughly 68,000 of those 69 were Tennessee Volunteer fans. As expected. He also says, I did not see one single Virginia tailgate in lots other than the VAF tailgate. And he makes this comment, but 75 bucks for a beer and a hot dog was a little bit much for me. <laughs> $75, Jesus. I don't go to concession stands, so I have no idea. But that's... That's absurd. That's uh, outrageous anywhere. <laughs> that's outrageous anywhere. Good night. Uh, Bob, we appreciate your comment right there. Uh, this is an interesting comment that's come in from Thomas. Thomas is watching outside Asheville, uh, North Carolina. He says, I'm a, li- a lifelong UVA fan and a 2006 graduate of the McIntyre School of Commerce. Jerry, does your uh, guess, it's not guess, he's the star of the program, Jerry Ratcliffe, think that this football team is going to win more than two games this season? If so, which are they? Well, uh, the over-under in in Vegas was three and a half. I thought they would struggle to do that. Um, The over-under is two and a half? Two and a half wins? Three and a half. Three and a half? Yeah, and I I didn't think that they could do that. Uh, I thought if they had any chances to win games this season, it would be against JMU at home, Boston College on the road, William and Mary at home, and Georgia Tech at home were their four best shots. I'm not saying that I'm predicting that they are going to win those four. Uh, Those are the four games that they have the best shots of winning. Um, Whether they'll win more than two games, I don't know. We'll we'll know a lot more about this football team on Saturday as to whether they can compete against a, a really good football program that's not Tennessee. Um... I mean, you just don't know. It's uh, JMU 
uh, it's a good football program. Uh, like uh, one of the uh, questionnaires uh, mentioned, they've got maybe some issues at quarterback. We don't know. I don't know how good this McLeod kid. I didn't get to see the game. I don't know if it was even on TV, but uh, there was no way to to watch it from where I was. But uh, anyways, um, it, you know, I, like I said, it's a, it's a must-win game. If Virginia's going to do anything this season, they need to win this football game. I, I don't know that they will. I don't know that they can. But if, if they want to do anything with this season at all, if they want to – win those th- three and a half, four games, they have to win this game. It is it is a must win. And if they lose this game, the rest of the month could go haywire until they possibly go to Boston College, which is struggling just as much as Virginia is. Uh, TJ Fatally watching on Twitter. He's running for Albemarle County Board of Supervisors. Also on Twitter, you have the sports better Espo Lax watching on the Jerry Ratcliffe Twitter account. Espo. You know Espo? I know Espo very well. He's a professional sports gambler, and he's from Charlottesville originally. He's watching right now on Twitter. Um, questions are coming in faster than I can keep up. We love to see that guy. He's on a the JMU grad, too. <laughs> uh, UVA guys, pump up, uh, pump the questions in the feed. We'll relay them live on air. Um, this is a very intriguing. And Bob Shada, I got a qu- uh, correction on the comment from Bob Shada. The $75 was not for the uh, the hot dog and um, beer. And beer. I it hope was, not. <laughs> it was for entry to the VAF tailgate. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know anything about stuff like that. Yeah. So. It was entry into the VAF tailgate against um, the Vols in Nashville. $75 to enter. You got a hot dog and a beer with that $75. So, I mean, that's... It's an expensive hot dog that's, and a beer. That's pretty stiff. I'd like to see where that pig came from. It must have been a golden pig. That's that's <laughs> that's pretty stiff. Um, the follow-up question on this is, uh, for Mr. Ratcliffe, it says this question... Just call me Jerry out there, please. Call him Jerry, call him Hootie. Yeah. It's the Jerry and Jerry show. We go by first names here, very low-key, very easygoing, the two of us. The only person I allow to call me Mr. Ratcliffe is Anthony Poindexter. And, and you've asked him many times to call you Jerry. Yes, I have. <laughs> um, this comment's come in for Jerry. Um, is the JMU contest more indicative of what's going to happen this season than the Tennessee contest? I think that's a fair question. I think your answer is probably yes. Without question, yeah. I, I, again, I didn't expect them to be able to compete with Tennessee. It's, it's a different world of football. For people who haven't been to a game in the SEC – and you love football, I highly encourage you at some point to go to an SEC venue and watch that. It's, it's a different world of football. It's, it's a religion. It's not just college. It's not just a Saturday stroll in the park, uh, let's go out and see a game and tailgate and blah, blah, blah. It's, it, it, these people live, breathe, sleep football in the SEC. It's it's hard to explain if you haven't experienced it. I've, I've been to a lot of SEC venues. Uh, I've followed SEC football all my life. It's just a different world out there. Uh, you see a little bit of that at Clemson, a little bit of that at Florida State, but nowhere else in the ACC do you see anything that measures up to SEC football. So 
Um, I, 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 I kind of thought that was a toss-away game to begin with. I think the JMU game is a much stronger indication as to what Virginia's football program is going to be like the rest of the season. And again, uh, I, th I think they'll be able to get a better measurement of where they are against JMU, Maryland, and NC State, and Boston College over the next four weeks. Chad Wood watching the program, one of Western Alamo's finest graduates, ran the single wing for Steve Isaac in the Jefferson District. He's asking what a dozen people are putting here on social media. Any word on Tony Muskett's health? We will find out, perhaps, at Tony Elliott's press conference this afternoon. Starts at 1 o'clock over at uh, JPJ. Um, it's a good question. I, I, you know, he might reveal what Tony Musket's condition is, and he might not. He, I'm sure he'll know what it is. Um, I'm sure uh, I was a little surprised that they didn't know after the game Saturday because those NFL stadiums, have the most of the college stadiums have x-ray machines. Uh, maybe they just didn't bother to x-ray him there. And the great doctors at UVA Orthopedics who travel with the team and take care of the team. Uh, or maybe it was a little gamesmanship. Or they may have chosen to wait and get him back to Charlottesville to really uh, take a look, closer look at him. But there could be some gamesmanship as well. They may not very well know what Tony Musket's condition is and may not want to reveal it and tip their hat or their cap to JMU and allow JMU to game plan for one quarterback over the other. Uh, so they very well may know and may very well tell us it's a game-time decision. Or he may just come right out and tell us that Tony Musket is a go or a no-go when we meet with him this afternoon. Um, I will say this, and, and looks can be, be deceiving, and anything can happen in the training room and college football, and we know that UVA's orthopedics department is world-class. Absolutely. That injury did not look promising. No, it didn't. I mean, he was holding his shoulder. Uh, you know, some people thought at first maybe it was just a dislocation, but uh, I don't know that. We don't know. It could, it could have been a collarbone. It could have been a shoulder injury. Um, it may not. It may just be a sprained shoulder. We don't know. Uh, and, again, we're not going to know anything until this afternoon when Tony Elliott uh, has, holds his weekly uh, press conference. But it didn't look good on TV. But then, again, a lot of times those injuries can be deceiving, too. There was a couple of times I saw Bryce Perkins laid out on the sidelines, and I said, oh, my God, this guy's season is over. And one series later, he's back in the game just as good as new. But um, you're right, it didn't look good, but we won't know until this afternoon. And we may not know this afternoon. This comment's come in from uh, Sloan, who's watching the program in the Richmond area. Um, what's the difference between Calandria and Musket as the quarterback for our team? Seems to me not much separates those two, and Calandria could be the quarterback of the future where Musket is not. That's a great comment from her. It is a great comment. Um, Calandria pushed, according to Tony Elliott, pushed and, and Des Kitchens, the offensive coordinator, they both said last week that Calandria pushed Musket in training camp and got a lot of reps. So uh, I'm sure he was ready when he was uh, had to go into the game last week. 
Um, it was his first taste of college football, and he was facing some of the same pressure that Musket was. Uh, I, I, I haven't seen enough of either one of these quarterbacks to know how much difference there is between them. Uh, they both have made a living previously by throwing the football. Musket had over 5,000 yards passing at Monmouth. Calandria had over 7,000 yards passing at uh, – As a senior at, in high school. As a senior – well, in his career at uh, down in St. Pete, Florida – he came from a hotbed of college of high school football, and uh, has a very strong arm. He's a very confident kid. He's a smart kid. Um, he's got a lot of moxie, as they say. He's not afraid. He's not going to back down from any situation. Uh, I think uh, you talk to him. He's going to tell you he's ready to go play against JMU right now. We don't know how he, how good he is because we haven't seen him play that. Well, we saw him play the fourth quarter out of Tennessee under adverse conditions. So um, we we know that both of these guys are pretty much drop back pocket quarterbacks, and can run it if they have to. But I, I, they're, they've made their living; they've made their carved out their reputation by throwing the football. And I, I think that's uh, if he ends up starting against JMU, I think. They will try to run the football and establish a running game because they do have good running backs. We saw, uh, I think, Kobe Pace uh, is a guy who's who could be a, a a pretty good back for him this year. I mean, he he started some games at Clemson and was fairly successful until he got hurt. And Paris Jones runs hard. You got to give that kid a lot of credit. That 17-yard touchdown run he made was was a really nice run. So. Um, I think they'll try to run the football against JMU, but Calandia, if if he ends up being the quarterback, he's going to try to throw it and see if he can have some success through the air against that JMU secondary. Um, this comment comes in from Vanessa Parkhill, who's watching in Earliesville, Virginia. She says uh, the Southeastern Conference is special, yes. uh, but it's not the only place for football lovers. I was at Beaver Stadium. 110,747 people were in attendance for the victory over uh, West Virginia on Saturday. It was a beautiful, beautiful day in Happy Valley, boys. No question. The Park Hills are Penn Staters, uh, most of them. And uh, I'm sure they're proud of the Nittany Lions. Uh, It is an incredible place for football. And and I'm not saying the SEC is the only place, but I – I've been to Penn State, I've been to Michigan, I've been to Southern Cal, I've been to UCLA, I've been to venues all over the country, but I I haven't seen the consistent week after week, year after year passion that you see in the SEC. And I know Penn State fans are very proud of their program, but I don't think they live and breathe, live and die uh, football all year long. I mean... I was I was at Auburn. I went down and, and interviewed a bunch of Auburn guys before Virginia played down there back in uh, the George Wells era. And I was talking to some Auburn players who got in fist fights with their own family members because part of them were Alabama fans and part of them were Auburn fans. I don't think that happens in Penn State families, but uh, it's. Uh, 
again, unless you've experienced it and uh, a lot, I don't know that you can truly appreciate the difference. But, uh, uh, Penn is, State is awesome. There's no question about it. This is a great comment from Grayson, who's watching in North Downtown. He routinely comments on our shows. Grayson, we very much appreciate you. He says, I routinely read Jerry Ratcliffe's uh, content on his website. Thank and I you. Know, I know he was a big Poindexter proponent. Yes. When does the narrative shift to Poindexter again? Well, uh, we'll see. I mean, if... If this coaching regime doesn't work out, and, you know, sometimes they don't, um, then, you know, the the question will come up, you know, who who will be the next Virginia football coach? Uh, the timing wasn't right for Anthony Poindexter. I thought he would have been a perfect candidate who could uh, excite the Virginia fan base and recruit well in the state. And talking to his agent and to some other people close to Anthony, he had an amazing cast of coaches who were willing to leave the NFL and to some superior programs in college football and help him rebuild Virginia's football program. Uh, There were some late squad... uh, Issues that arose in their negotiations, and it just didn't work out this time. I don't know if it would another time or not, because I don't think Virginia is going to be. I think Virginia would be unwavering in some of the things that he felt like he needed to win here, uh, and I don't think Virginia was prepared to do some of those things. And uh, a lot of the academic institutions around the country who. Um, have been a little more successful on the football field in recent years, have, um, I don't know how to put this without pissing some people off, but uh, they've made some concessions that Virginia won't make. And, I, you know, that that uh, you uh, appreciate Virginia sticking to their guns, but there has to be some reality in there too that, uh, if they don't make some of these concessions, are they ever going to be able to be highly successful in football? I, I don't know. And I think those concessions are tied to uh, academics, undoubtedly. They, uh, yes. Yeah. We well, know not, not solely, but some of them are. Yeah. This has been a, <clears throat> this is a great follow-up from Vanessa Parkhill. Uh, she says, I agree with you, you boys that Coach Elliott needs to be given time and opportunity to put his system in place. Then she follows with this. And, guys, we love the question and answer. Uh, fire those questions away. Hootie Ratcliffe's been covering uh, college football for 40-plus years. He is a wealth of knowledge. She says, however, in today's college football, it is fair that we as a fan base need to give not as much grace as we did in the pre-transfer portal. The new way of college football has changed the level of accountability. Do you buy that? Uh, To some degree. I mean, there's... I mean, we're in the wild, wild west here. We're seeing things in college football that couldn't have even been dreamt of five years ago, I don't think. Uh, It may get to the point where players have player unions. Uh, They may be paid by the universities to play. Uh, There are all kinds of things on the horizon that, uh, that 
I don't think Virginia that college football fans are braced for, just like they weren't braced for the transfer portal or the NIL five years ago. Who would who would have thought this was going to happen? Um, we've seen a much quicker trigger on in college football. A lot of coaches get dumped a lot earlier than ever before. I think Virginia is a per, uh, is a school that doesn't believe in getting rid of coaches before their contracts expire, their initial contracts. Um, they still believe in uh, doing the right thing by coaches. Uh, now, if they can't get it done at the, by the end of their contract, I, uh, they haven't had any hesitation in getting rid of coaches, but they've been slower on the trigger than a lot of schools and that's that's been proven uh they've probably endured a little more losing than they would have preferred because of that because they chose to hold on and honor those contracts i don't know if times have changed enough in the overall college world to influence virginia into making a quicker change than they previously would have or not We'll see. We'll see. Time will uh, tell. I, I wish Tony Elliott all the success in the world. He's Me too. A, a great man uh, who believes in all the right things. I know his heart's in the right place. And believe me, nobody wants to win here more than he does. Uh, he works his butt off trying to get this thing turned around. And it, it, it could be that he just can't do it. I, I don't know. It, we'll, we'll see. But. I think you got to give a guy a chance, uh, especially with how last year played out. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even sure last year is an indication of what what he can do. I mean, we had an anomaly for a year. We had a tragedy here. I mean, it's and it certainly has spilled into this season. I mean, how can it not spill into this season? We're talking about young men here. Yeah. No, you know, they, they you know most likely they probably would have lost those last two games had that tragedy not occurred. And they probably would have finished uh, three and uh, nine, but um, things just didn't didn't work. They didn't click, and we we've talked about that. There's a lot of finger pointing going on as to why it didn't didn't succeed. And the real true test is to whether his offense works here will be unveiled over the next. 11 weeks absolutely either it's going to work or it's not and if it doesn't he may have to make some changes in his coaching staff he may have to i've seen in some programs in the past where uh if a guy who has been successful as an offensive coordinator as he was at clemson may have to come in and take over the offense himself and do that as a double duty. Like Bronco, uh, the first few years, he was defense coordinator and the head coach. Now, I'm not saying they should fire the guy uh Des Kitchens tomorrow or anything like that, but if the offense doesn't work out over the course of this season, that could be an option that Virginia will look at. I, I don't know that they'll, they will or not. Uh, there's a lot that's going to reveal itself over the – course of this season and it you know uh, nobody is expecting a lot 
but we have to give it time to play out. You can't just automatically assume that it's not going to work. Who knows? They may turn it around and win five games or something. If they do, I think that's a great indication that I'll take five wins. Things are going in the right direction, and that he will eventually get this thing turned around. Um, if you go back throughout Virginia's history, and I and I studied it, uh, I researched, and I, I wrote the history of Virginia football, and going back to the 1800s, um, you know, since Frank Murray. Um, uh, not Murray, the other guy before him, uh, whose name escapes me at the moment, uh, Art uh, Get, uh, Gep. Uh, since those guys, uh, pre uh, right after World War II, uh, Virginia has essentially been a coach's graveyard. Uh, I remember at George Welsh's press conference, Bill Millsaps uh, jumping up and asking George, he said, uh, Virginia's been a coach's Georgia graveyard. Why would you leave Navy and come here? And, and George said, well, if it is, it's a lovely graveyard. And uh, George that day said he could foresee building Virginia into a top 25 program, which he did. Uh, Al Groh had some success, but things went sour. Uh, Mike London had only one winning season, I believe. Uh, Bronco, it took a while to get it turned around, and then things went sideways for him very quickly i mean this is not an easy place to win i i remember interviewing don shula who had the most wins of anybody in the nfl when he retired i believe and he his first job was at virginia in 1957 i believe and he stayed here one year and he said (laughs) he said he told me he said it's the hardest job i ever had in my life he said, we kept bringing players in, and the professors kept flunking them out. And so uh, it, it's not an easy place to win and unless you want to make some sacrifices to the way things have been here for the last 100 years. You just kind of have to live with that. Uh, who was it? One of the coaches said they want us to be Harvard Monday through Friday and Alabama on Saturday, and it just doesn't work that way. Can't do that. Can't do that. Having fun with Hootie Ratcliffe here at the 1130 marker. I got three topics I want to throw to you before the show closes. What did you learn from week one play in the Atlantic Coast Conference? What stood out to you the most? That Duke is going to be a player in this thing. That Florida State is much better. Well, not much better, but they're better than we thought they were. I mean, they just handed it to LSU. To beat LSU was one thing, but to dominate them like they did in the second half, that was a butt kicking. I, I immediately thought right then that Florida State has the kind of playmakers and explosive offense that's going to win this conference. I don't care how good Clemson is. And then we saw how disappointing Clemson was last night. Duke uh, has to move into the top, top three slots, and North Carolina has to move into those top three slots. I, I would rank it. Florida State, North Carolina, Duke right now. Uh, I didn't think NC State was anything special. I couldn't believe why people were so excited about them or Louisville. Uh, so uh, I would Clemson's down at, at the number four spot right now, and uh, we haven't seen that much to give us any indication to Miami at this point. But uh, I think that's a, the new pecking order in the ACC going forward. 
You got Cal, SMU, and Stanford. We said last week that that was going to happen. The man predicted it. His crystal ball is super clear, Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe's. Do we call it the all-coast conference now, Hootie Ratcliffe? <laughs> I don't think they're going to. Well, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't think they're going to change their name just like the Big Ten, who's now 18 teams. I don't think they're going to be the Big 18, and I don't think the Big 12 is going to be the Big 18 either. I think they'll keep their names. I think the ACC will keep its name. Um, but it is the all-coastal conference now uh, with Cal and Stanford on board. And, and you know, people giving the Pac-12 all kinds of uh, throwing bad light on them. But the, they were 13-0 and this past weekend in football. Cal scored 55 points on, uh, who was it, San Jose State or somebody? Um Stanford beat Hawaii. Um, I don't know who SMU played, uh, so I don't know what they did. I think SMU plays Oklahoma or somebody good this week. So, uh, but um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. Um, it sounds like that there there's been some discussion about using Dallas as maybe a neutral place to play some of these games so there doesn't have to be as much coast-to-coast travel and they could play in Dallas. Um, Wow. So that's going to be interesting, Uh, something that will be explored in the coming months as they work toward next year's schedule, which is going to be weird. That makes you wonder now, is the ACC going to have to go back to divisional play again or are they going to have 18 teams with the two top teams? I prefer the divisional play. I did too. And I, I thought, I thought Virginia voting in favor of breaking up the divisions was so, not a smart move on their part. The divisional play maintains some consistent opponents, and plus you you have a chance to win that division. Right, easier like for a team in like 2019. Virginia. Exactly. What is their chances of finishing in the top two? Zero. Yeah, zero. I mean, maybe once every 10 years or something. Yeah, 100% right. Great analysis right there. We want uh, an Olympic sports roundup for you, Hootie Ratcliffe. There are other sports out there, Wahoo fans. We have a fantastic athletic department here. Oh, there's no question. One of the top 10 programs or athletic departments in the country, and uh, I think Craig Littlepage deserves a lot of credit for that. Him and John Oliver building that uh, program uh, 20 years ago uh, when they wanted to become the Stanford of the East and – to some degree, they have been. They are, so, yeah. Um, Got to give a little uh, shout-out to the two soccer programs. Uh, and, and please don't ask me any soccer questions because I'm not as well-versed with them as I am football and basketball and baseball, but maybe we will be as the season goes along. But the Virginia men are 3-1. and one. They beat Maryland, uh, number 20 Maryland, 2-1 to one, uh, over the weekend. Uh, Leo... Alfonso scored his second goal of the season, both in penalty kicks. Uh, George Gelnovach, Virginia is very fortunate to have this guy. He, he took over for Bruce Arena and has been here ever since. He's looking, Jerry, for his 100th career victory at Duke on Friday. It's big time. George is a great guy. He's done a great job with this program. Over on the women's side, same Steve Swanson, been here forever, does a great job. They host Iowa here Thursday night, their last non-conference game, I believe. Um, the His women's program is ranked number 12 in the nation. They're 5-0-1. Oh, 
They beat VCU four to one the other night. Four different players scored goals. And Meredith McDermott, we've got to give a shout-out to her. Her goal in the first 55 seconds of the game was the fifth fastest goal scored in program regular season history. Uh, the field hockey team's doing great. I think they're ranked in the top ten. Volleyball team is off to a decent start. So uh, Virginia's athletic program continues to thrive uh, outside of the revenue sports. What do you have in the uh, hopper on jerryratcliffe.com? Well, we'll be uh, covering the heck out of the football team in this uh, today's press conference. will probably give us a lot of uh, a lot of fodder to go through. Uh, we'll be looking at JMU, obviously. Uh, we're coming up on some really big-time basketball recruits visits coming up here in the next couple of weeks. Some of the top Prospects in the country are visiting Virginia. Uh, so Tony Bennett is very excited about those visits coming up and uh, just uh, the overall sports program and uh, everything you need to know Wahoo. He's the publisher of jerryratcliffe.com. We're on the website every day, jerryratcliffe.com, for anything UVA-related. 40-plus years of covering college sports and the ACC Jerry Ratcliffe guys. Virginia Sports Hall of Fame inductee, Jerry, Hootie, Ratcliffe. The Jerry and Jerry Show airs Tuesdays at 10.15 a.m. We're looking to work with uh, you and your business and to align with your, uh, your hours and send our following there so we can drive some revenue for you. Reach out to us and we'll help you help us. Judah Wickhauer is the director. We appreciate you, Judah Wickhauer. Job well done. He Always. crushes it on all our shows. My name is Jerry Miller, and this show, guys, you can find wherever you get your podcasts. We will see you next week at 10.15 a.m. for the Jerry and Jerry Show. Thank you kindly for joining us. So long, everybody. Excellent, Hootie. Excellent, excellent, excellent. He's going to tell us when the mics are off here.